Dynasty Hello and welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you doing? I'm great, bud. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. We're we're excited to uh, have another guest on tonight. We'll we'll talk to him in just a moment. But uh, we're also excited to have finally some introduction music. Uh, we that's been one of the main requests from uh, some of our listeners so far. And and thanks to our buddy Ty Miller. Ty Miller. Uh, we, we've got that in place now, so uh, Ty's done a great job with that. I know he did the music for the DLF pod as well and uh, for for some of the other fantasy football podcasts out there. Um, he, d- he does a really great job with, with this stuff. Um, and actually, if, you know, if anybody else wants to hit up Ty, he's, he's uh, in line to do some more of these. He's ready and willing. Just uh, shoot him an email at leadguitarist19 at gmail.com, and, and he'll take care of you. Um, but again, just, just do, has, does a really good job, and, and we're glad to have some, some music to get us started on each of these episodes. Get us fired up before we get into it here. I like it. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, speaking of fired up, I'm, I'm fired up to talk to our guest tonight. We've got Mr. Leo Pasiga, uh, one of my fellow writers over at DLF. Leo, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing awesome. <clears throat> well, Leo is uh, for those of you who have followed his work over the years, he is he is back in the Twitter sphere, and uh, he, he took a little vacation from that, and and also back writing some Dynasty content, which is great news for all of us. Uh, Leo, just uh, I guess share a little bit about yourself, um, your role at DLF, and and what made you come back to Twitter. Well, again, first let me just say thanks, guys, for having me on. Um, you guys have been doing an awesome job um, with your podcast. Really, really impressed with it. Honored to be here, especially following uh, Sigmund Bloom as one of your guests. I mean, he's a tough act to follow. Um, what brought me back to Twitter? I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, I left. A lot of it had to do with just free time. You know, you got so many constraints on your life, and you got to balance everything. And, and I need to make, I had to make some decisions to, to step away for a little while. What brought me back? It was two things, honestly. First was, uh, you know, the, the fantasy football community we have on Twitter and we have, you know, through the different websites is really a, an awesome community. And, you know, like you and Matt, you guys reach out to people, you have conversations with people, and, and there's just so many innovators and folks that have been driving the train, like Sigmund Bloom and Matt Harmon and Matt Waldman, just really, really great guys. And I, and I mean, I can't even mention all of them, right? There's just so many of them, but it's just such a close-knit really great community and and I missed that I honestly did being part of that and having conversations and exchanging ideas and and so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come because it was just a void that was there that that I wanted to jump back in and the other thing is it's this year right this is the the of year that makes being a dynasty fantasy football player so wonderful you've got um you know, rookie picks that gain value every day. You've got free agency on horizon. You've got OTAs that'll be coming up soon. A draft. So many things. You got you got uh, owners who are devaluing aging players. You've got players who finished the year on a high and they're bumping up their value. Value. It's so many different things that 
are a catalyst to off-season movement. And so just this time of year was a reason to jump back in because, you know, you know it's just so dynamic and so much going on. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and uh, I know everyone can hear uh, just in your voice why we wanted to have you on. You've got that passion for dynasty fantasy football, and, and this really is dynasty season. So we're going to uh, we're going to jump right into some dynasty talk. You mentioned the rookie draft um, coming up, and later in the spring we've got a lot of events happening before that. Um, and and the next one just coming up in a couple of weeks is the NFL Combine. Um, so in just a moment, Leo, I'm going to get your thoughts on some of the top rookies and and some of what you're going to be looking for. But you know we're we're lucky to have. Uh, some insight from Matt Williamson. Matt, of course, is a former NFL scout for the Cleveland Browns, and I know Matt got to attend uh, one NFL Combine a, a few years ago, so Matt, we've, we'll have a few chances to talk about this over the next few weeks and next couple of months, but just just kind of give us that insider take on what the Combine is like from your point of view and, and as well as what it's like maybe for the players. Yeah, you know, I was there, I was a new scout with the Browns, so I went there a couple days ahead of time, and I I helped to get, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, players that we were scouting, guys that were there, they would come in off the planes, and, and I would get them to their rooms, and I would help them whatever they needed, or, you know, organize them into their groups, hey, you have to be here at this point, you have to be here at this point, this is your schedule, and, you know, obviously growing up, I was very into the draft, and I, you know, I watched as much as I could. I got all the combine numbers when I could. But I was shocked how little free time they really have. I mean, it is a, a, a couple-day grind for these guys. They get them up early, and every second of every day is basically accounted for, you know. And you know, if you're not doing drills, you're, you're in, you know, you're going from team to team. You know, there's a... a at least at that point, I'm not sure if it still exists exactly that's the same way, but it's basically a hotel. It's a train station situation where you get 15 minutes with each team, and then they blow this air horn, and you run from the Browns to the Bengals. You know, you have the schedule set up, and you knock out all these interviews, and the guys walk in, and you're all over them. I mean, there's head coach, GM, lead scouts. I mean, everybody's all over these guys trying to get whatever they can out of them in 15 minutes which I kind of thought was foolish. I'm like, what did we really learn about this kid? I mean, putting him on, you know, grilling him in 15 minutes. So that was kind of odd to me. But one of my favorite stories, just I get a chance to do this because this is, hey, this is our podcast. I can I can say it. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Joe Green's kind of like the guy. I mean, if it wasn't for Joe Green, I don't think I would do this for a living. I mean, because the Steelers in the 70s, I was born in 73, football's so big around here, maybe I'd be a lacrosse scout if it wasn't for Joe Green. But anyways, Paul Warfield, you know, everyone knows he's on the Hall of Fame. He was one of our scouts with the Browns, and I knew Paul pretty well. He's a great guy. And Paul and another scout and myself were walking into the combine my very first day. I can't wait to get there. And Joe Green, who's a scout for the Steelers, comes around the corner. Hey, Paul, what's up? So I go strutting into the combine with Paul Warfield and Joe Green. Like, yeah, man, I do this all the time. Nothing to it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Not many people can but say to be that. Honest, yeah, it was, all, it was very cool, and my jaw was on the floor. And since then, we've actually had Joe Green on the, the podcast back with ESPN, and I've talked to him a few times. But to be honest, as much as anyone loves football, you sit there all day and you watch guys vertical jump, it's a little slow. Yeah, that is one of the um, one of the benefits of 
watching the combine from our couch, and and that's exactly what Leo has written about his his latest article for DLF, uh, the first one in a while. Leo, we are we're glad to have you back. But uh, his article that was released um, earlier this week is in fact called the NFL Combine from my couch, which I, I feel is just a great viewer's guide uh, to help get us ready for the Combine later this month. <clears throat> so at this point, guys, I, I feel like that top two is pretty set. It's it's a lot like the same situation we had last year with Todd Gurley and Amari Cooper, and some people want to argue who should be 1-1, who should be 1-2, um, and it, it ended up probably not really making much of a difference. They both both had great rookie years and, and are now consensus first-round dynasty picks. So we've, we've got a similar situation this year with Laquan Treadwell, the Ole Miss wide receiver, and Ezekiel Elliott, the running back from Ohio State. Those are pretty much the top two guys on on nearly everyone's board. Um, so we're going to we're going to skip over those two guys for tonight. We'll we'll see a lot of them, of course. I want to bring something up with those guys. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot. But I just want to ask Leo sure. one thing on those before we skip over them. And first of all, the more home, I mean, I, I'm doing more and more homework on these guys. Both of you are ahead of me on terms of draft prep, but I'm underwhelmed. I, I mean, I gotta say, I mean, I'm not super blown away by this class at all. From a, I'm really excited about it from an NFL perspective, the defensive linemen, you know. I mean, but from a receiver and running back perspective, I'm sort of wishy-washy on it, and I'm sure I'll I'll find some guys that are sparking my interest, but I'm kind of in, let's sell and gather up 2017 picks mode, to be honest with you, but one thing I wanted to ask you is, everyone's talking about Treadwell, and I've seen highlights of him, I watched a game or two on TV throughout the season, he's not Julio Jones though, right Leo? I mean, he's not a, a transcendent talent. I think El um, Evan Silva really hit the nail on the head. Uh, he made a comparison um, earlier this week on Twitter where he compared him to a Hakeem Nix before the compartment, you know, compartment syndrome that he had and then all the lower leg injuries that he had. Uh, when, when Nix came into the league, I mean, he put up some really good numbers um, his first three years. And, and he was able to um, – he didn't dominate like Julio. He didn't create that massive separation where you looked at him and you saw a physical freak, but he was still able to use his body to be an effective receiver and an impact player, and I think that's what we're going to get with Treadwell. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that – he's not going to be Odell Beckham Jr., the guy that blows you away, but he is going to be a guy that you're going to be able to get maybe a lesser version of Allen Robinson. Uh, I think he's not going to blow people away at the combine. Fine with his nuts, probably you know four five four seven, but he knows how to use his body and that size, and I think he's going to be somebody that you'll be able to build a team around in dynasty. I, I guess as far as Matt, as far as that point, I feel like Treadwell's maybe a notch behind Cooper uh, at this point, and and I think Elliott is at least one notch behind Gurley, so. I see your point as far as being underwhelmed by the class. I do really like the depth of of this class. I know Leo's talked about that, and and this this kind of goes in waves of, you know, it's a terrible class, and sell every sell all picks, and you know, just a few weeks later, it's it's a great class, and the depth is 
amazing and let's buy picks. So those <laughs> right. and we know those, how it works too. Somebody's going to blow out a four three that we didn't expect at the combine, and the buzz is going to really heat up. On five of these guys, we'll probably talk about. It. I mean, the combine's big for that. Yeah, exactly. Right. These and we'll continue to see those cycles until April and May and and June when when we're in the heart of these rookie drafts. I I think what's really interesting about this class is that there's so many players that people either love or hate. I, I've never seen, or I shouldn't say I've never seen, but you know, we talked about this class a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, and, and it was. Everybody buy your 2017 picks, just move these, they're not worth it. And then as we've gotten deeper and deeper into watching some of the film, there's guys that just, you know, it's polarizing. You, some people love Tyler Boyd. Some people, you know, love Sterling Shepard. Some people love Josh Doxson. It's just amazing. And you can find reasons to like all of them. And I agree with Matt. Maybe you're not blown away by them, like, oh my God. God, I got to get the one-one pick so I can go after this guy. But the depth is there, and and if you really, um, you can really make arguments for it, all the way down to probably two, three, two, four in this year's rookie draft for guys that are going to add value to your dynasty team. Exactly, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about is just the depth of that second tier. If if the top tier is is Elliott and Treadwell. Then first of all, Leo and, and Matt, you can obviously chime in as well if if you're ready to to plant your flag. Who's the 1.03 pick right now? Who who is your choice to be that third guy off the board uh, in rookie drafts? Leo, let's start with you. For me, it probably comes down to two players, and and I'm going to probably have to watch the combine and and even do some more film study. But it's either going to be Sterling Shepard, who I think is uh, a tactician. I think he shows a maturity in his routes, and I think um, he does, even though he's you know a little on the smaller side. I think he can play the outside and do it well. And then the other guy is Josh Doxson from TCU, that is. Um, Again, shows maturity, shows uh, a savviness to his roots and he uh, to his route running, and he he plays outside of his body. Like he, uh, by that I mean, you know, he's got a large target area because of his size and because of his reach, but he's very comfortable going outside of that, um, you know, that comfort catching zone in in front of him, and he can get stuff and and make his quarterbacks look much better than or much more accurate than they usually are. Well, Dotson should have that maturity. I, I think he is older than you, Leo. He is. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, he, 23 now, right? <laughs> yeah, he he will be another uh, another Kelvin Benjamin in that uh, we'll continue to talk about uh, how old he is for uh, yeah. for a rookie. But uh, I, I know you're you're willing to overlook that at least in Dotson's case, based on what you've seen on film. Right, and and you, normally I do discount that, Nor, and with Benjamin I did as well. You know, automatically there's a discount for the extra year, and and you got to plan that into your building your dynasty team. But in this particular case, I think it offsets, and it's worth it's worth that investment because you're getting a player who's mature. Exactly, um, Matt. I know you're you're still kind of early in this process. Uh, do you have a favorite yet for that 1.03 pick? I don't, but. The little I know, I was super impressed with him a year ago. I've seen a lot more Boyd than I've seen any of these other guys, to be very honest. He was phenomenal two years ago. This year, his quarterback really held him back. People are talking about that he's a Robert Woods-like athlete. I think that's selling him short. I think he's a lot more elusive, explosive, probably straight line faster than a guy like Woods. I think he's more than number two 
uh, well, maybe he is a number two. I mean, uh, this isn't something we've talked about, but the term number one receiver gets thrown around the NFL a lot, and there's not 32 of them on the world in the world. There's really probably 12, 13, 14, 15, and that's kind of what I'm looking at in this draft too. Is I'm not even convinced, and maybe my tune will change, but I'm not sure that there's a number one receiver in this whole class. I mean, I love the Knicks comparison, and, and I wrote an article when Knicks was really good of back at, when I was at ESPN. I remember I ranked him as like the third best receiver in the league at one point. Yeah, I mean, I love the guy, but is Treadwell? I could see also see him being an Anquan Bolden, which isn't terrible. But if I'm using the first or second pick in the in a dynasty draft on the guy, I don't see enormous upside with him. I mean, I like him. I mean, I, I see what there is to like. He's after the catch. He's physical. I've heard Michael Irvin comparisons, you know, which is great. But he doesn't separate, you know. I mean, it's going to be tough adjustment at the NFL level. But I'm looking at all these guys, and I'm seeing. I don't see any anyone that, boy, if he, like a Green Beckham, that, boy, if he hits, he could be a Pro Bowler every year. I mean, you mentioned it, Leo, and I'm not getting on your case. I mean, I haven't talked yet. We're not buddies. I don't know you as well as some of the people in the industry. I'm sure we will. But you said there's, you know, 15 guys or so that can really be an asset to your dynasty team. Well, I don't want an asset. I want a stud. No, I get that, and I don't, and I don't know if you're going to have that from this class. I think you're going to have to mine, mine the value, and and this class you'll be able to mine that value. I think into the middle of the second round. But you're, if you're really interested in being blown away by by a prospect, then your plan of action may be to just invest in 2017 draft picks, write this one off. Maybe maybe you fall in love with somebody, um, but if not, maybe you just invest a year forward. And, and along those lines, something I like to do when I'm not in love with the pick I have when I'm on the clock or a class in general is to go, is to play it forward like you mentioned. But I also like to play it back to go try to get Perryman or Kevin White or, or somebody that I know a lot more about that, that that's a rookie that I loved a year ago that maybe his value hasn't you know shot through the roof like a Cooper. And I think I think that's an interesting point with those two guys specifically. You know, we saw nothing from either of them due to injury. So, you know, you're they're basically going to be part of this rookie class as well. Um, but unlike, you know, Boyd and Treadwell and and Josh Dotson and and all these guys, they're not going to be in the limelight over the next few months. Meaning, maybe they can be um, acquired at a discount. Uh, I, I almost I almost wish that Devontae Parker hadn't come back at the end of the year and right. had him as a third player to that list of guys to go after. You know, Parker is really an interesting case, and um, we get we get asked about him a lot on Twitter. You probably do as well, Leo. His value just you know he he really only played basically the last month of the season, and his value has just skyrocketed. He's he's a second round startup pick. Um, and I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of him, and you know, he's a guy that I would love to have on every dynasty team, but I don't think I'm ready to pay that price for him. I'm curious if you guys would pay, you know, since we're talking about rookie drafts and the one three, would you rather have the one three or would you rather have Parker or White? I would much rather have. I, I the order I would take those would be White, Parker, one three. I'm pretty close. I would go Parker White one three. Yeah, I'm not as high as on White as you guys. I, I do have some concerns about him, but but I would easily take Parker over the one three. 
Um, I, I mean, I think I think Parker and Treadwell would be, you know, would be a conversation. Okay. Uh, but before we move on, Leo, I, I, I mentioned your article that that dropped earlier, uh, the NFL Combine from my couch. You, you mentioned you, you cover ten players there, sharing some of your thoughts on uh, just what you've seen on tape so far, and and in watching these guys on the field the past two or three or four years. And and then you also go into what you want to see next, specifically at the combine. So just mention, just talk to us about uh, one player uh, and and one thing specifically you're really looking forward to seeing on combine weekend. Um, okay, well, well, there's a couple things that. Uh, so we normally talk about wide receivers. So let me change gears just a little bit. I'm really looking forward to watching um, Paul Perkins and Kenneth Dixon. Um, go through some of the agility drills because those guys are just electric. There's some question about Perkins' long, long field speed, um, but overall, in a phone booth, I, you know, I think I even wrote that he could outjuke me in a phone booth. Perkins <laughs> could. So I'm look really looking forward to watching those two guys get out there. I'm looking forward to watching uh, Jordan Howard to see how he catches the ball because we can see that when he runs the ball. Um, he's definitely got a very good understanding of what it is to be a power back. I'm looking forward to see if he can actually catch the ball too. The little bit I've seen on film, he looks like he's got soft hands. So I want to see him go through some of the receiving drills. As far as the wide receiver, well, you know, can you no, talk about no. Jordan Howard a little bit more? He's a yep. name I'm not real familiar with, and I got to know Lance Zerline real well actually because of going on the couch with him with uh, with Sigmund Bloom, who was on last episode. So I pulled up his list. I think he's one of the best draft analysts out there. He has Howard tied with Derrick Henry as his number two running back right now. And I, I knew the name, but I didn't think he was that sought after. I mean, do you think Howard has a chance to be a top seven or eight dynasty rookie pick? I mean, could he be the Patriots' second-round pick at the end of round two? Could he go to Dallas at the beginning of round two? I mean, is he, a, is he that kind of player? I, I think that he uh... – yeah, I think NFL teams are really going to like what he brings to the table. Um, you're talking about a guy who, you know, 6'1", 225 pounds, really has an understanding. You know, you get some big running backs, and they really don't know what it is to be a big running back. They right. don't really have a good grasp of um, how to run between the tackles and how to get that body lean and, and to keep their head up, right? I mean, that's a key for a big running back. You put your head down, and you're going to go to the ground. You, you keep your head and keep those legs churning and you're able to still gain some momentum and get that positive yards. And that's instrumental when you're, um, when you're a big back. And I think he's got that ability. Uh, I think he's going to make an NFL team pretty happy. Uh, is he, he doesn't have the dynamic long speed. I mean, Henry, when you get him going downhill, he will just run through a wall. I don't know if Howard has that same type of dynamic power that makes mm -hmm. you just go, wow. But overall, uh, I think he could be just as a good a, as a bell cow back as Henry could be and probably have a longer career because with Henry, he's got that Johnny Bravo body that, you know, those, that, <laughs> those legs, that's how he's going to hold up to year after year of, of pounding, whereas Howard is built for that type of, um, for, of that, that type of banging play in and play out. And so I, I do think he's going to be – he's going to make an NFL team really happy going between the tackles. You mentioned Henry, and, and 
I, that really worries me about this guy. I mean, I don't like all the lower body he shows to get hit. I, I don't, you know, he is kind of a thin leg guy for being over 240 pounds. And I don't think, you know, you talk about taller power backs. I think he's closer to Brandon Jacobs than he is to Eddie George. I mean, but of all these guys we talked about, if he lands in Dallas in the early round two, I think he's the front runner to be the consensus one three. Well, if if Ryan were to get drafted by the Cowboys, he'd be the consensus to be the one three. So uh, you get you put anybody behind that line, and uh, except maybe Rand, right this past year, but um, if any line that can make McFadden look good at this stage of his career, that, that line is just awesome. But you're right; it, depending on Henry's landing spot, could vault him up these rookie boards pretty quickly. Um, but I think that can be said for, for quite a few. Alex Collins is another big back from Arkansas that's that's got a lot of ability. Um, so I think they're, they're not as um, proficient as Elliott is. Uh, Elliott's a great pass blocker coming in. You don't usually see that in a running back coming out of college that's already ha- has a good grasp of what it is to, in pass protection. These other guys don't have that. They're going to have to grow into that. Um, but but yeah, there's definitely some depth in in the running back category. Some some names that there's probably going to be somebody from the combine that we don't expect that's going to come out of nowhere that's going to really impress some people. Um, but but yeah, there's it's more than just Elliott and Henry. There there's some depth there. Ryan, I want to kidnap him for one more second, or just make one point uh, while we're talking big running backs. Is in dynasty in general. I'm going to go towards the better football player. I mean, more so than situation. You know, we're going to talk startup stuff. I, you know, I, I'm more in, in rookie drafts in general. I'm going to go for the better football player. I'm going to go for the guy that I love to watch on film, that I want on my true football team. But one of my weaknesses as a dynasty evaluator is that sometimes I forget that even though I'm really worried about Derrick Henry, he's probably a better fantasy player than he is NFL player because he's going to score touchdowns. Yeah, right. I've, but with, with, go ahead, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna, I was just going to agree. You know, and uh, a lot of somebody asked me today an interesting question regarding the way <clears throat> us dynasty players or or people that post their rankings, I guess, how we view specific players in relation to how the NFL views them. And he mentioned specifically uh, Derunya Wilson, who most uh, you know, most dynasty writers, or, or you know, I, I don't want to use the term experts, but most people who do post their rankings still have ranked pretty high as as probably an early second rounder. And if you look at some of these NFL mock drafts, he's he's a third, fourth, fifth round draft pick. So you know, does that constitute a guy we should take in the in the early second round or late first round? Maybe not. You know, that's where we have to to weigh. Matt, I know you make this point so often. We have to weigh what the NFL tells us. You know, the moves that they make, the the transactions, the draft picks, that all, that's all information that we should be using. It is, but also at running back, that's a little bit misleading because, you know, look around the league. You know, Sig was talking about Rawls. Obviously, he's a little bit of the exception to the rules, but you can get a high, and we saw it this year more than any time, that, you know, Sharkhandrick West and, you know, these guys that didn't come into the league with a lot of fanfare can help your, help your fantasy team now more than ever, you know. So it's sort of a fine line. You know, as an NFL analyst, 
I very much defer to the teams and where they got picked and all those things, and I read the tea leaves, as Sig likes to say. But running backs, I mean, good ones fall. Yeah, good, good, ones, good ones fall, but then the other thing is guys that we identify as dynasty fantasy football players, the guys, the metric guys that we'll fall in love with, um, like uh, Christine Michael or Bishop Sankey, those guys that um, blow up the combine and we go, man, they're going to be great once they get in there. And then it ends up being an undrafted free agent like Thomas Rawls that comes out of nowhere and ends up winning the job. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You know, there's some guys that we just fall in love with, but I guess you can say that about any position, right? We're not, we're not experts. I mean, Matt, you far, you have far more of a pedigree in that regard than, than a lot of us do, you know, from your, from your expertise and your, in your time dealing with the NFL. I mean, heck I was, I said Cordero Patterson was the best player available in 2013. So Lord knows I've made some mistakes when it comes to evaluating players coming into the NFL. Well, while we're on the subject, I loved Patterson too, by the way. I, I went out and I paid a ton for him and he bit me. But anyways, the most what people don't realize, I think, is the most important thing that happens in Indianapolis is the doctor, is the medical. And we don't get privy to that information. You know, we do get the 40s. We see all that stuff on camera. Boy, he had a great spark score. He, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's highly explosive. You see his broad jump. Well, yeah, but he's got a degenerate knee, knee condition. You know, the, the, there's a reason these guys fall. And they have a lot more information on the player character-wise as well and medical as well. You know, like I often say when I'm on the radio, the one thing I don't like commenting on is injuries of any kind. I mean, I didn't go to med school. I mean, every team, every organization pays somebody a lot of money that is a doctor to tell you these things, and you have to defer to those doctors or, or otherwise you're really foolish. I mean, the medical is one thing that draft Twitter really has no clue about. Matt, if if you say the medical is the the most important, would you say the interview process is is that would that be second on the list? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think I'm in the minority there, though. I think most people would say yes, but I just think that they're so scripted. You get 15 minutes, the kid shakes a bunch of hands, you know, answers a couple questions, and gets bombarded. To make that kind of character evaluation on a human being to me is nuts. You know, so. Uh, there's not enough there. And, yeah, you'll see how they act, and you'll get some. But you get a lot more background when you go into the school and you're talking to the director of football ops, his position coach, the lunch lady, the guy in the parking lot. You know, I mean, it, it, you can find a lot of dirt out about these guys. And when I was with the Browns, and everyone has a similar situation, we had actually – it was one of President Bush's, the the older President Bush – it was one of the guys that – it was one of his Secret Service men, and he runs alongside the, the car, and he takes a bullet if someone's trying to kill the president. Well, he was our guy that looked into, you know, Braylon – we picked third in the draft. We ended up taking Braylon Edwards. He did probably, I'm guessing, I don't know, $50,000 worth of background checks on Braylon Edwards. <laughs> you know, so you find things out. Wow. That is interesting. That's that's some great insight from from both of you on this incoming rookie class, and and we'll definitely have more over the next few months. Uh, uh, a couple more questions on rookies. I'm sorry, Ryan, but oh, that's okay. I, now we got a guy that I mean, and I want both of you guys to chime in on two receivers. Just give me your thoughts on them. Will Fuller from Notre Dame is he closer to Deshaun Jackson or is he closer to Teddy Ginn? And the other one I'm really you know interested in. 
big, thick body type is Carew from Rutgers. What do you guys think of these two? Go ahead, Leo. Well, first, let me jump in on Carew, because I like Carew a lot. Um, he's somebody that I'm probably going to target at the end of the first round if I can get him in, in most of my rookie drafts. What I like about Carew, and I read in that in that article, is he has what I call paradox hands, because he's got these incredibly strong hands that win at the catch point. Uh, snatches the ball with aggression, and I love that. He's still a hands catcher, but he just snatches the ball. The other thing is that it's almost like a touch pass got like a catcher's mitt. He can just snug that ball right in and just, just suck it in like a vacuum. And it's complete opposite styles, but he's able to do both of them. I like Carew a lot, and I think he's uh, – Again, depending on who he goes to and the offensive schemes. Um, but I think he's somebody that can win inside, win outside, and I'm definitely going to be – I'm sure all my league mates now, are make, if they're listening, are going to make notes on that. But um, I'm definitely going to be targeting Carew at the end of the uh, first round in my rookie drafts. Leo, you're going to be finding this out heavy, and it's a real pain in the ass, is all your league mates listen to this stuff. I mean, uh, trust me, I have a hard time making deals sometimes because they're like, dude, I follow you on Twitter. I mean, you're not going to pull anything yeah. over on me. It's – one of the one of the uh, the problems here after your 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 Twitter following hits up to about where Ryan's at, it's going to be tough to pull off deals, man. <laughs> Occupational hazard. Uh, one, one thing I like about both of those guys you mentioned, both Carew and Fuller, is in our current uh, rookie ADP over at Dynasty League Football, both those guys are going in the second round. So you know we talked about the depth of this class and and it may lack the studs. Uh, you know we'll we'll know that in in a couple of years, but it it does have depth. So you know right now you can get Carew with the 2.01, you can get Will Fuller with the 2.02 pick, and, and there's even you know even other talented guys like Braxton Miller and Rashard Higgins are going who are going even later than that. So um, now might be a great time to buy those second round draft picks. Um, while people are st stuck in that mindset of, you know, maybe this is a weak class. Higgins is a guy that I really like as well, too, out of Colorado State. Um, lanky guy, thin, but what's really interesting about Higgins, what I, I noticed and what I like about him on film is he's he's got a a deceptive – stride you would think he would be a long strider right out of the right out of the break but he starts off kind of small and it's and it's deceptive it tricks a lot of the cornerbacks i think or a lot of the defensive backs because he opens it up so smoothly that you don't expect him all of a sudden to gain that speed but he he's somebody that i definitely uh, will be targeting to in a second round i like higgins as well Ryan, we can move on in one second but you mentioned the depth of this class and this really isn't the dynasty note, but one thing I'm really figuring out here in this class is there's a lot of quarterbacks, you know, which is rare. I mean, guys that are mid-round picks, the the Dak Prescotts, the Cardell Jones, the Brissettes, you know, the, the, there's, you know, it wouldn't shock me that if we look back five years from now, two of the guys drafted in rounds three, four, five, six are starting in a league somewhere. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I, th I think there's, you know, there's definitely potential for that. Uh, at the same time, you know, just just the state of the quarterback oh, position yeah. as a whole, it, you know, I, I think you'll see even Goff and and uh, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch, those guys are going to be third rounders in in a bunch of rookie drafts. Oh uh, right. You know, even the top the top quarterbacks off the board. So, um, it, you know, if you're in a, a deep league 
you know, 30 roster spots or 16 teams, or if you're in a two-quarterback league, those are guys you have to pay attention to. Um, otherwise, I think we just play the waiting game on them. Oh, I 100% agree. I, I was talking more from an NFL standard than dynasty. You know, that it does look like there's some arms coming into the league for once. Well, one reason, Leo, I was excited to have you on tonight is is I know that uh, you and I and, and Matt as well share a lot of the same uh, strategy when it comes to building a dynasty team and, and specifically going through that maybe the most important part of of that dynasty building the startup draft um, you know you're you're building your team from scratch it's it's your chance to mold that group of players into exactly what you want and um, so we'll hit on on a lot of these points but just give us some general thoughts on your mindset going into a startup dynasty draft I guess what I, I generally go with the same blueprint, which is fitting for you know the title of your podcast. I I normally go, I'll go wide receiver with generally my first three or four picks, and I want to build my core group around that young wide receiver that I believe in. Um, I do think though, and I, and let me throw this at you guys, um, we're in an interesting point. It, from a standpoint of, of age valuation with a couple really strong receivers that we've built around, you know, the three of us, because I know we all kind of build teams the same way. We've built around certain players for the last six, seven years, Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, um, AJ Green. Those guys have been core guys that have, that you've looked to get right off the bat as much as possible trade up to get two of them on your roster to build that team. They're all hitting that 27, 28 year old range where you have to start considering, am I really going to invest in early guys in a startup or am I going to go after an Amari Cooper or a Mike Evans or an Anson? Am I going to um, discount those guys? So, you know, based on the fact that we do build a lot of startup rosters the same way, how are you guys evaluating those players and are you discounting them? I always feel like I, I kind of lean towards youth uh, and, and like you I do build a, build around those wide receivers um, it, you know it wouldn't be uncommon in a in a dynasty draft for my first five picks to be wide receivers <clears throat> when it comes to to those group those guys that are uh, you know I wouldn't say they're getting up there but um, they are getting to the point where you may not consider them long-term cornerstones of your team you know I mean how many how many more years do those guys have you know we've seen um, Brandon Marshall play at a high level at age 31 I'm not sure it's even fair to assume we get that from from all of those guys you know maybe maybe one or two of them maybe three of them but uh, again not something I want to assume what I like to do with with guys like that is when they're still in in that peak value stage, which I, I still think they are, they're they're certainly at the end of it. You know, that's when I like to sell those guys, and it used to be a lot easier to do that. Um, but now so many other people are coming coming around to to this mindset, this this way of building a dynasty team. That you know, it's not easy to do, and. It, an AJ Green for Amari Cooper type trade. In, in fact, it's it's nearly impossible. You've got to add to that. Uh, 
in the middle of this past season, I traded Demarius Thomas, Matt Jones, and a future first rounder, which became the 1.11 pick in this upcoming draft, to acquire Amari Cooper. And you know, I would I would gladly do that again, but that does show that even you know most people had Thomas ranked ahead of Cooper at that point. I still had to pay that premium for the younger player. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do if I have those guys on an existing team is I'm trying to trade for a younger piece for Robinson, for Hopkins, for Cooper, for Evans, uh, for Sammy Watkins, any of those guys, even if it means adding uh, adding more to my older player. Um, now, in two or three years when those guys are turning 30, 31 years old, that's when I want to go back and acquire them at a at a discount you know you I mean you could have had Brandon Marshall for a second round pick this time last year so um, you know in in 2019 2020 I'll go and, and give a second round pick for for one of these guys who's still kicking around and and hopefully he'll be that piece to lead me to another championship one note on this you know these guys we mentioned are the best receivers in football you know I mean and I think that the, in this case, size matters. You know, that's what she said. But you know, a guy like Antonio Brown to me worries me a little bit because he's so based on quickness, separation. That if he loses a step, he might not. Be, he might fall off a cliff. You know, where Des Bryant's still going to catch touchdowns. Julio's still going to catch touchdowns as they slow down, like we saw with Calvin Johnson. You know, like we're seeing with Brandon Marshall, Larry Fitzgerald, that, that some of these big, powerful, go-up-and-get-it receivers don't fall off a cliff as fast. But, you know, I mean, Dez and Demarius, their stock's down heavy right now. I don't think you could get, you know, the return you would want selling them right now. And you're right. I mean, the dynasty community is getting a lot smarter. People aren't going to say, hey, take Brandon Cooks and two firsts for him. You know, they're not going to give you that kind of, you know, value in return, or they might not even give you Cook straight up for a guy like Demarius Thomas right now. So they're a tough, it's a tough proposition. You know, if, I have, if I'm holding Dez, I'm holding Demarius, and I am in a couple leagues, I'm putting their name out there and see if I get somebody that comes salivating. Boy, what do you want for, what do you want for, for Dez? I'm all in. But I'm not getting many people knocking. No, they're not easy sales right now, and and right. when I say I, I would sell them, I would not encourage you know a sell at all cost. No, not at all. You know, there's still players who who have a ton of value, specifically in season value, meaning they're going to help you win games. You know, even Calvin Johnson last year was, you know, just viewed as. Um, <laughs> You know, by some dynasty owners, he, he was viewed like he was already done, like he had already announced his retirement, and he was still a wide receiver one. He was the he was the top twelve wide receiver. So, um, no, we're not we're not to a breaking point with any of those guys. They're still going to be, um, you know, still a very good chance to be top twelve receivers or <clears throat> starting fantasy receivers. Um, but I'm certainly exploring, like you said, I'm putting their names out. I'm I'm doing, you know, doing that due diligence to see. Um, if I can acquire a, a younger receiver and and just start the clock again, you know, because if you can get three if you get three premium assets for one of those guys right now, and a year from now you can only get one premium asset for him, well, you kind of missed the boat. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's I think we're probably a, a year 
you know, I think you've got to go back in time a year. I think a year ago was the time to get three premium assets for those guys, and and now maybe yeah. you can get one. I I agree with what you said. I'm I'm not sure you can get Cooks for um you the know the Marys like the Marys are the guys that are are kind of you know Julio you can still get a ton for right. I think you can still get a fair amount for AJ Green but Dez and Demarius are people are not banging on the door to get those guys right now right so that means on those teams where uh, we we are contenders you know now now is the time to to shop after those guys to see if you can buy those guys. Well, I, like I said, I just wanted to bring that up because I think this is such a, a you know, a different time for, for dynasty owners and startups because for the last five years, we haven't had to worry about that because they've always been there and they've always been young and you've always been able to count on drafting them with one of your first six picks and, and just put it on autopilot and lock one in on your roster. And now we're just re- reaching that, that window where you got to give it a little bit of thought now. Oh yeah, I agree. And and I mean, I think the easy the easy answer there is you take some of those guys I mentioned earlier. You know, you take Watkins or Evans or Robinson or Hopkins. Um you know, the the difficult situation is what happens when those guys are gone. You know, do you take the 28 28-year-old wide receiver or do you take a running back? You know, do you go against that that strategy that has worked so well over the years? So and that brings us back to startup talk, you know, and one of my strategies, I've only done one startup. I'm in five dynasty leagues. I took over all losers, orphans, except for one. But I'm a, I'm a been around it enough, though, that a couple things I want to do in startup for sure, though, and like you mentioned, if all those guys are gone, first off, I want to pick in the middle of the rounds. Like, I, I hate being on an end and being like, man, if I don't get this guy now, I have no chance at him coming back at me. I mean, at least when you get in the later rounds, you pick seven in a 12-team league and you're torn between two guys, there's a chance he comes back to you. But I think a couple things are I really like to trade down in the first round too. I mean, if I could pick up future early picks, if I can pick up an extra fifth, sixth-round pick in the startup, those things are gold, man. And, and not everyone understands that moving from seven to 12 and you pick up a nice you know, premium asset is much better for your fantasy team than the startup. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think moving down um, can really help the future of your team, whether you're picking up those extra fifth and sixth rounders or if you're adding extra uh, rookie picks to that team. You know, especially this year with with this class that that we've talked about coming in 2017. So, Leo, I, I've just kind of jotted down a few notes that that are part of my strategy and and. From our conversations over over the years, I think these are probably true of you as well, and and for you too, Matt. So I'm just gonna throw these out and and just kind of uh, talk about any of them that you want for the next few minutes. So we we already mentioned building around wide receivers. You know, you're taking three, four, maybe even five wide receivers to begin your draft. Obviously, you're waiting on other positions. We've talked. I think probably on every episode we've done so far about the quarterback value and and that you can just wait and wait and wait. We're we're finishing up the February DLF mock drafts right now to to give us our ADP data, and even guys like Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, those guys are falling to the 18th and 19th round of startup drafts. And and I know those guys you know have kind of have their issues right now when it comes when it comes to dynasty league leagues but I mean those those 
they can be starters. They can be fantasy starters for you, and you're getting them with you know one of your last picks. Um, so waiting on quarterback, I like to grab those running backs. When it, I like to wait as long as I can on running backs. First of all, I, I don't trust them. Um, I don't trust them to stay healthy. I don't trust them to keep their job. You know, outside of your very very elite guys, and we're talking Bell and Gurley. Um, I just don't want any of the top guys. But I'm looking for those short-term running backs. I'm fine taking a Frank Gore, Danny Woodhead. You know, I'm fine taking those veterans who may only give me one year. Um, I've already mentioned it, but I'm get, I want as much youth on my team as, as I can get. Um, and also, I already talked about acquiring those future rookie picks. That's, that's only going to help you down the road. So, uh, Leo, just jump on any of those points you want. If you agree or disagree, share some of your general strategy for building a dynasty team. Well, I agree with everything that you said 100%. One thing I will say is with running backs, one of the places that I think you can find value um, when, you're, when you're waiting is to take the negative side of a handcuff. Um, especially if they're young. Like last year, heading into last year, if you had done a startup, uh, Tevin Coleman was the hot commodity in Atlanta. You could have gotten Devontae Freeman very cheaply in a startup draft, and it ended up flip-flopping during, you know, during the year. Um, this year, it's the opposite, right? This year, if you do a startup, Tevin Coleman is the cheap price. He's on the negative side of the handcuff. And who knows, by week three or week four, if Freeman suffers a concussion, Tevin Coleman steps in, and all of a sudden, he's getting you know, 70 yards and a touchdown every game, and, and you win that. So I think there's definitely value to be found when you take that um, negative side of a handcuff. Buffalo, right? LaShawn McCoy was the running back everybody wanted Carlos Williams comes along he's the negative side of a handcuff but he's young showing promise you take him so so there's definitely value there when you're building that team and following that uh, following that blueprint to gain some definite advantages there um, and you still get enough carries even if it doesn't flip-flop for you even if they stay on a negative side of that handcuff you still get enough production um, that you can build for that for that next year. Cause when I draft a startup, I'm always looking one year out. I know some people don't like that strategy. They want to win now and win for the future. I'm fine. Um, not worrying about the year that I drafted and focusing everything on, on the following season. Leah, one, one thing that has helped me to, I guess, develop this strategy over the years is that most of my leagues now only require one starting running back. Um, I know that's that's not quite the norm, but I, I do think that that setting is gaining some popularity. Are most of your leagues, are, do they require one or two or more running backs? The, the leagues that I really enjoy playing in are the ones that give you enough options like you can you have more flex players and you can do the one running back and do extra wide receivers or if you have you drafted a running back heavy team you can start more of those I have some that require two running backs you know all the time and again in those leagues running backs are disposable you and I both agree on that I know we've had this conversation before guys come out of the woodwork whether it's Thomas Rawls whether it's um, Deion Lewis Carlos Williams, there's always some, you know, D'Angelo Williams because Le'Veon Bell gets hurt. There's always somebody that you can pick up and that you can throw in. Alfred Blue, for crying out loud, you can throw in your lineup and get enough yardage. Um, so 
you're right. One running back leagues really give you a lot more flexibility to focus on the areas of strength that you like to build around. But even in a two running back league, I think you can get by with, with um, just plugging that guy in and playing, you know, people talk about Sigmund Bloom's got that column where it's um, where he talks about disposable defenses and he just looks for whatever the next good defense is. You can do the same thing with running backs as far as I'm concerned, if you have a deep enough waiver wire. Yeah, and, and the waiver wire is the key there. You know, if, if you are employing this strategy, if you're going wide receiver heavy, you're waiting on quarterbacks and, and all but ignoring the running backs, you've got to stay active on the waiver wire. You've got to be able to grab those, um, those types of players you mentioned like Rawls and um, <clears throat> Deion Lewis. You know, when that news breaks, go take a, take a shot on them. And, and that's where Matt's point that, that he makes so often about the value of roster spots. Um, you know, if you've got if you've got that stacked roster from one to twenty-five, it it looks pretty, but you you've also lost some flexibility where uh, you know you can't go take a shot on some of those guys and and um, and and that's why I like to do consolidation deals. You know, take two or three of the guys. Um, most some people say take two or three of the guys from the bottom of your roster. Well, that that usually doesn't work, you know. Right. I mean, the pl- the guys that you're playing against, they're not they're not dummies, you know, for, for the most part, at least, you know. But take two or three guys from the middle of your roster, take those some talented guys that maybe are not starters for you, flip them, consolidate them into one piece, and now you've gained, um, you know, you've gained a fantasy starter where you didn't have one before, maybe, and you've also gained some flexibility on your roster. Or take those guys and turn them into future picks. You know, I yeah. mean, right. that's always a great move. You, can't, yeah. you never go wrong. Because if you get in trouble and you need somebody, you, you pull out your future picks and you, you know, during the season, you, you have three running backs get hurt. You can mortgage your future a little bit to get back in the game. Right. But it, you, you know, you even mentioned, you know, Chandrick West, where. Um, he was the guy when Charles went down that everybody went after. But if you had played the negative side of that handcuff and you had gone after Spencer Ware and you had rostered him, you would have ended up gaining some value down the stretch in your playoff run because Ware was the one that was actually running and, you know, scoring touchdowns. So, again, another example of where that negative handcuff comes off and, and it can provide value for you. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, I, I like that negative handcuff term. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of it like that, um, but I think that's a, that's a good point and just another way to gain an advantage. Hey, I got one more startup question for you guys too, and and I get asked this a lot, and I would actually have to be in a startup to really know exactly. But when do you pull the trigger on Gronk? Uh, Leo, what do you think? Um. I guess you know what I would consider Gronk as soon as as soon as my top four wide receivers are off the board. I'm taking Gronk before I would take Dez or um, Demarius Thomas or a running back. That's Number where two. the window is for Gronk for me. Right after those top you know four or five young wide receivers, Cooper, you know Beckham, Evans, Watkins, uh, A. Rob. Once those guys are gone, that's when um, I'm thinking Gronk. I'm with you, and if somebody took him first overall, I wouldn't kill him for it. No, that's fair. I, mean, I wouldn't do it, but I could see the logic. Yep. Well, just it's it's such a huge positional advantage. 
you know, over. I mean, we saw Eifert break out. We saw Jordan Reed and and Greg Olson have another great season. But I mean, Gronkowski is still such a huge advantage at at that spot every week. And you know, I, and I'll say this too. You know, Ryan, you said you go after a lot of times wide receivers, even with your first five picks. One of the things I try to do though is within my first five picks, I try to work in a young tight end. Um, and that doesn't sound very good, but I try at least for that <laughs> position. Um, you know, I want to get a Kelsey. Or Heard that about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <fantastic. laughs> um, so, but you know, so like I did a startup last year, and I think Ryan, you and I talked about it a little bit. It's a tycoon league where not only do you have a league champion every year, but the first team that wins back-to-back titles is going to get a larger portion because you know a certain amount is set aside for that first back-to-back champion. And I drafted it last year out of the sixth spot, and I went Mike Evans first. I got Nuke back on the way around. And then I got A-Rob in the third because obviously, you know, the value that we see now wasn't there, you know, last March. So I was able to get those three. And then in the fourth round, I went back and I took Kelsey because I wanted a good young tight end that I would be able to have and count on and hoping he stayed healthy. But I think to me that's a corner piece that I like to get fairly early first five picks. Uh, then I went, just to finish it out, I went Lamar Miller because I wanted a, a one running back to be able to plug in um, in the fifth. And then in the sixth and seventh, I went um, Green Beckham and I went um, Brashard Perryman. So, oh. you know, I was able to put together a decent a decent squad, wide receiver heavy, uh, one running back in the first uh, seven rounds and, and getting my tight end as well. All right, a lot, a lot of great, um, again, great insight on startup dynasty drafts, and and we'll have more of that talk as well over the next uh, few months. I, I think there, there's a few startup drafts that you'll see before the NFL draft, but most of them seem to take place soon after the NFL draft. That's kind of the the hot time for that. Um, so so we have plenty of time to talk more strategy when it comes to building a dynasty team. Um, before we wrap it up tonight, we do want to take a look at a few dynasty trades. And we had several submitted to us this time, so thank, thank you all for doing that. And again, I noticed a trend. The 1.01 pick. You know, we, we talked about those, those rookie drafts. Uh, we talked about Treadwell. You know, maybe it's Treadwell, maybe it's Elliott. The 1.01 pick is being dealt and being shopped uh, pretty often by the looks of these trades. So the 1.01 obviously has a ton of value, but um, there's some uncertainty there. Uh, with you know maybe maybe you get a player that busts. Uh, a lot of people would rather just uh, grab an established player and and put that put that player on their team. So let's let's look at some of these deals, and I want to hear from you guys. Um, which side do you like? Do you like the 1.01, or do you like the the players in exchange for the picks? Uh, so our friend Coin Flip Carla uh, has a deal. I don't think this is one she. It looks like one she is contemplating, but maybe hasn't made yet. Uh, she gives Sammy Watkins. She give. Or I'm sorry. She gives Sammy Watkins. She gets. Thomas Rawls and the 1.01. So Thomas Rawls and Treadwell, Thomas Rawls and Elliott, um, in exchange for Sammy Watkins. Matt, what do you think about that one? 
I think it's fair. I think I could make a case. If I was the lawyer for either side, I could make a case. I think I want Sammy, though. I, I, Sammy finished the season unbelievably strong, and I'm not sure people realize just how good he was the last month and a half or so. It wouldn't, I mean, that, this is saying a lot, but it wouldn't blow me away that he rivals Odell for first pick overall in a startup a year from now. I think he's that kind of talent. Leo, what about you? Uh, I think I, I agree with Matt. I think Watkins is in a vacuum. Watkins is the better deal. I think I would probably have to look at overall rosters on, on this trade. I think that would come into play and, and maybe starting requirements. If I was in a position where I really needed a starting running back and I had some good wide receiver depth and I could still put Treadwell on my team, and get Rawls, it's something I would probably give a little more thought to. Uh, but ultimately, Watkins, I think, is the best player in the deal. It's close. Um, I would probably lean Watkins, but again, if I had the specific need, I could see myself maybe talking myself into it. Yeah, and I agree with you guys. It's It sounds like we think it's a fair deal, but, but Watkins is. And Watkins is the elite player. Rawls... Uh, obviously performed well, taking over for Marshawn Lynch last year. But, you know, there's still some uncertainty there. Um, Dynasty owners seem, you know, when we see a young guy perform like that, especially kind of one like Rawls who sort of came out of nowhere, I think we're, in a lot of cases, I think we're more eager to call them the starter or call them, you know, a a stud fantasy player than, than maybe their own team is. So, you know, Seattle... What if what if they sign you know one of these veteran running backs uh, and and suddenly it looks like a competition? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm taking the Sammy side there. We we've got some others though. Uh, the 1.01 and Doug Baldwin for Martavis Bryant and the 1.11. Uh, we'll start with Leo this time. Leo, what do you what do you have there? I'm taking Bryant in the 11 pick. Um, I. Even though there's risk involved with Bryant, he's still, you know, he's a field stretcher. That that Pittsburgh offense is going to put up a tremendous amount of points next year. I want a part of that. You know, I want to have some stock in that. I I I don't mind. I'm not a risk adverse, you know, owner. I'll take a chance. I'll I'll gamble with Bryant and think that he stays, you know, clean for the next for the next season and give me that 11 pick and I can go, you know, uh, I can go after one of those wide receivers at the back end of the first that we talked about earlier. So that's, I, I'm all in on that side. All right. What about our Steelers Homer? I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking you're taking Martavis here. <laughs> I am. Um, I also have people close to the organization that are worried about his, you know, being a bong hit away from, you know, being on, uh, on Josh Gordon land. Uh, there certainly is that concern, but I don't know that the average fan realizes how talented he is. I mean, he's an utter freak, and if if he was clean, I think I might take him at 1-1. You know what I mean? I mean, I think he's a more talented guy than Treadwell from what I've seen, so I do want that side. I'm not a big Baldwin believer. Baldwin's a huge sell for me. Um, where are you guys on Bryant in terms of, would you trade one three for him straight up? I certainly would. I don't know that I'd trade one of the first two picks for him just because I'm worried about off the field. Yeah, I would trade one three for him pretty easily. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'd probably trade one two for him as well. I think the one one point oh one would be close. Um, 
you know, he and Treadwell, kind of a toss-up for me at this point. Um, I, I easily prefer the 111 to Doug Baldwin. So if yes. we're breaking it down like that, then I'm on the I'm on the Martavis side as well. What I what I would like to try to do on that deal, though, you know, if we talk about the one one for Bryant, if you could work, if you could make work, maybe the one one and the two one this year for Bryant and a 17 first. Now you're golden. Yeah, now you're talking. Yeah, I like yeah. that move a lot. Exactly, exactly. Um, all right, we've got another one. Uh, the 1.01 for Demarco Murray and Brandon Cooks. So you get Cooks and Murray. For the 1.01, I look at it like I look at it like this. Would I rather have Cooks or 1.101? And I think I'd rather have Cooks. So Murray's gravy. Um, I talked about it on the first show. I think he could have a decent year. I think they'll run the ball a lot. I'm certainly not a fan. I don't own him anywhere. I got you know I, I got rid of that stock a long time ago. Um, I just love Cooks. Yeah, I think. Well, that, I tell you what, that's a that's a pretty solid offer. I mean, I could, you could again, you said Matt earlier that that first trade offer. If you were a lawyer, you could argue both sides. I think you could yeah. do the same thing here. Um, definitely a solid offer, but I think I would keep Cooks, and I would I would hope that Demarco starts off quick at wherever you know he ends up, and then then just that you can you're able to move him. Yeah, again, I'll agree with you guys. I like the Cook side here, and, and it's certainly because of Cooks. You know, Matt, I think you've called I, I think you've called uh, Murray Gravy, you've called him a throw-in, kind of alluded to that, and I understand that thinking. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his either. Um, I think one thing some people may not understand, or, or maybe this is just the way I see it and, and others disagree, the bigger the trade is, the bigger the range of that throw-in label. You know, in a trade like this, it's, right. it's you know, one huge piece, you know, Treadwell or Elliott, for another uh, another up-and-coming valuable player in Cooks. In this deal, Murray is a throw-in. Now, in, in other deals, you know, maybe you can get a late first for Murray. Maybe you can flip Murray for, you know, a, a wide receiver that can be your, your third wide receiver, something like that. Um but in a trade of this magnitude, a guy like Murray does become a throw-in. He becomes that piece that that puts it over the top and and uh, gets it to be accepted. So, um, you know, typically I might not call Murray a throw-in, but this time I do think he is. I, I agree with you. All right, we've got one more: Julio Jones and two third-rounders um, for Sammy Watkins, 1.01 and a 2017 first-rounder. I'm thinking we're going to agree on this one as well. Uh, Leo, let's let's start with you on the last word I'm, on this I'm trade. Hitting, I'm hitting Watkins as fast as I can. I'm running to the exception. Matt, what about you? What do you think? Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I love Julio. I still put him above Watkins, but this is too much periphery fun stuff to, to, to deny that. i got to do it. Yeah, I think I think Watkins for Julio even up is is at least a conversation you can you can have. And then when you throw in two first rounders, uh, one of them being the 1.01, I, I don't think this one is even close. You've got to take the Watkins side there. Uh, that is going to uh, call an end to our night. Um, thanks again to our guest Leo and uh, Leo Pasiga of DLF. Leo, tell uh, tell everyone where they can find your work. 
I'm back on Twitter now, it's all right after my year hiatus, so you can find me at Siga underscore FF, that's C-I-G-A underscore F, and now that I'm writing again, like I said earlier, and I think I mentioned I've got an article posted today on DLF about the Combine, and I'm hoping to get some more stuff out in the coming weeks, um, maybe revisit my Dynasty Notebook series and talk about really getting to know the owners in your league so that you can use that to your advantage. Um, so I really, really appreciate you guys having me on. I had to dust the rust off a little bit. It's a long time since I've done a podcast, but you know, I just really appreciate you guys giving me a chance to come on and talk some fantasy football with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And that dynasty note notebook you mentioned is, is great stuff. We'll have to have you back on to, uh, to share some of that information with our, our listeners as well. Leo, it was great having you on and getting to know you a little bit better. Uh, hopefully we can, Get that, that Twitter following up for you and have you back on and have a lot more conversations down the road, man. Awesome. Thank you again, guys. All right. So thanks again to Leo. Thanks to Matt. And thanks to Ty Miller for our uh, intro and, and outro music. Uh, so, and if you're interested in getting in touch with him, that's uh, leadguitarist19 at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.